Guy told me he's got a timer back there, and I see it's on. <laughs> oh my gosh, so I know, he's, I know that beeps at the end, right, guy? So if you hear that beep, if you're just, you can just, just hope that I'm done. I'll be done. Luke chapter 24, just, you know, I've just been thinking about this verse, these verses, and just thinking about patience of God, God's patience. Scholars say that this is one of the most amazing aspects of the nature of God, is his patience. I just want to talk about that this morning. Let's just bow our heads for a moment and pray. Just take a deep breath and just practice the presence of God that he's here this morning. And that where two or more are gathered in his name, there I am in the midst. Lord Jesus, you are in the midst of us this morning. Now we exalt you, we recognize you, and we acknowledge you. Lord, you are in our presence Lord, we want to cast away all of our cares, cast them upon you, Lord. All of the things that were on our minds when we came here. Lord, we just want to be ministered to you today. We thank you, God, for this church, Lord, the light that it is in this neighborhood, in this area. God, how you're using this church in a mighty way, Lord. God, we just pray that you would speak to us clearly. <clears throat> that your voice would resonate inside of us and direct our steps. In Jesus' precious name, we pray these things. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 24, and I want to start in verse 13. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I love that. Don't you love that? While they're talking and discussing, Jesus draws near to them and walks with them. That's such a beautiful verse. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still, looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas said, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem that does not know the things that have happened there in those days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Can't you sense in those verses the sense of disillusionment, the sense of disappointment, the sense of sadness? We had hoped, wow, that this would be the one that would redeem Israel. Yes, And besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us 
went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, Jesus, who's walking alongside of them, says to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter in his glory and beginning with Moses and all the prophets? He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. That must have been an amazing thing. Jesus Christ, the Logos, the word in the flesh, interpreting the scriptures. That must have been an amazing, amazing fellowship. So they drew near, in verse 28, to the village which they were going. He acted as if they were going farther, but they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he went in to stay with them, and when he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes then were opened, and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while we talked to us, while he talked to us on the road, while he opened us the scriptures? I just want to say a few things about these verses that really spoke to me over the last few days. I know that there are times when we find ourselves like these disciples, these two disciples, Cleopas, which some commentators state that this was the Cleopas that was married to Mary, one of the, one of the Marys that were at the, at the cross. If this is the case, then Cleopas was probably the brother of Joseph, which was uh, the father of Jesus. So this was Cleopas, what might have been his uncle. So we don't know that for sure, but this is an interesting scenario that this is Jesus' uncle. The second disciple, we don't see a name here. But in Byzantine historical records, it could be, they suggest that this could have been Luke. But we don't know that for sure. But what if it was Luke? What an interesting situation. Luke is not saying so much here. Cleopas is the one that's speaking. And I think that when you think of these two disciples, this is Sunday morning. This is Sunday that they're, that they're exiting Jerusalem. They're going out the west gate. And they're going about seven miles towards the towards a small town called Emmaus, which means warm springs in the original. So they're on their way. This is Sunday. Jesus has risen. And they're in a position where they just can't make sense out of it all. I sometimes think about the disciples following Jesus for three years. They saw his miracles. They heard his messages. They saw the multitudes. They saw the thousands of people that had received Jesus, that had listened to Jesus, that had followed Jesus, sometimes for days without food. And now Jesus has been delivered over, and it seems like the political religious system has defeated this mighty prophet of God and for the people. And so now he's crucified, and he's dead in their eyes. It is not computing in their minds what Jesus said, that I must be delivered over to be falsely accused, delivered to the people and crucified, but yet on the third day I will rise. This is not yet entered in their minds. It's not computing. Because you know something? Crucifixion and the cross life is just something that the natural mind, the flesh cannot perceive. The cross of Jesus Christ is such a paradox 
It's such an anomaly in human history. It's something that the minds cannot receive naturally. It is such a mystery. And so it doesn't even get in their heads. For the longest time, we see here that the disciples are not even understanding. It's only, it's only a couple women that get it. Isn't that interesting? That Jesus appears to who first? Women, right? Ladies, take, take, uh, take some joy in that. Because uh, ladies, got, they had some discernment here. Us men, it takes us some time. It takes us time to get it. I think that's so unique because in the Jewish culture, in the Eastern culture, women had such a low position in society that they couldn't even be a witness in a court case. But who does God decide to be the first witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ? Women. Isn't that incredible? That's amazing. God is so amazing. God loves God loves people. God loves these women. And so these disciples, they're just trying to wrap their hands around what's going on. And then it begins that sadness and that discouragement begins to seep in. How many of us here today have been in places where we had hopes, we had dreams, and we had concepts, we had impressions, we had pictures in our minds of the way it was going to be? Maybe our family life was supposed to be a certain way. Maybe our job, our career was supposed to go in a, in a certain direction. Maybe our personal life, maybe our personal ministry, maybe, maybe our little kids, maybe that little baby that was born was born in a different way that we had thought. And our hopes are smashed. Our hopes are broken. Maybe we had trusted in someone, we looked up to someone that we thought was amazing, and they, and they, they betrayed us, and they disappointed us. And they broke us. And then we are broken people. This is a broken world. And every one of us in this room, in this city, in spring, in this area, in Houston, people are broken. People are broken because of disappointment. But this is a different kind of brokenness. This is a brokenness that had to happen to the disciples. This is a brokenness that God had allowed in his permissive will. Why? Because God had something, a higher plan. He had something that he was going to reveal. Sometimes I wonder when Jesus rose from the dead. And you know the resurrection, and I, I know this means so much to your, the Reformation Church. Your church means to us a lot too at Evergrace. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the most amazing event that happened in human history, isn't it? It is so powerful. The first time ever a, a man who was killed, died, was risen from the dead. This never happened before. This is one of the most amazing things. And not only just a couple people see it, a couple women, but 500 saw him in Acts chapter 1. <clears throat> and then God deposited into those 500 people the gospel. And they went out and they preached the gospel to the world. I wonder sometimes, why didn't Jesus just appear to himself to the whole world and say, I'm risen, I'm alive. Take heart, don't be discouraged, don't be sad. <clears throat> but in this case, he doesn't. He doesn't. Two disciples, discouraged, broken, disillusioned. Oswald Chambers talks about disillusionment that can happen in Christianity. It can happen, and it could be a healthy thing because we get to understand it's not about anything but Jesus Christ. And they're walking down this road. And you know, it's, <clears throat> it's seven miles. And if you're walking seven miles, the average speed is about three, three and a half miles per hour. There's Jesus, the resurrected Jesus. And so it's so unique to me, and we don't have time this morning to talk about it, but who Jesus appears to after the resurrection. 
He is such a personal God, isn't he? He's got two disciples. These guys should have known better. That, that could be us. That is us today. Here's the resurrection that happens in, in Jerusalem. Guess what happens? They're walking down the street, and they're going, they're going out the west gate. They're walking three miles an hour. And then suddenly, within about 15 minutes or so, Jesus just comes alongside them and starts walking with them. What patience, what compassion, what identification. I mean, here's the God of the universe. Jesus created this universe. And here he is just walking with two men who are just not thinking. They're just not thinking. And so he walks along with them. And, and it says here, I just think that, that, that the scripture brings out such a unique thing. Is that they were sad. You know, Jesus asked these two men. He says, what things? These men are just talking about this stuff. They're talking about the latest news, the headlines, and, and maybe even some conspiracy theory. That Jesus, maybe his grave may have been robbed. By his disciples. Or maybe, uh, maybe he was removed so that by the Roman government so there wouldn't be some kind of memorial for him. <clears throat> but a lot of things are going through their heads and they're walking along and Jesus comes alongside and he says, what things? What things? What's going on? I love Jesus' questions. They just come out of nowhere, don't they? And they just shock us. They just blow us away. And Jesus here is provoking a conversation because Jesus here has a plan. Jesus has a way, and he's going to get these disciples out of their spiritual funk, and he's going to get them back on the right road. And they're walking along, and Jesus says, what things? And it says here in the, in the English Standard Version, it says that Cleopas stopped and, looked, and was looking really sad. That, just that question just stirred up some pain in Cleopas' mind. It just, re, it just reactivated a lot of pain in, in his mind. Sometimes God's questions in our life just reactivate stuff from our past. Why? Because God, God wants to get to the nitty gritty of, of what's inside of our soul. He wants to address foundational building blocks, doesn't he? He wants to rebuild all of that with his gracious words of power and resurrection and healing words. And Cleopas stops, looks at Jesus, and he says, Dude, <laughs> he didn't say that's not in the Greek. I would say if that was in my train, I would say, hey, dude, <laughs> dude what, so what is your problem? Where have you been? I mean, didn't you, haven't you not heard what's going on in Jerusalem? And Jesus is like, what? Tell me. And so he begins to explain. And he begins to pour out. Cleopas and, and the other disciple begin to pour out all of, the, all of their disappointment. Jesus begins to counsel these men, going in the wrong direction. Have you ever been in a situation where God is, God is moving in a mighty way, and you just can't get your hand around what God's doing, and you're just walking in the other direction? You know, they're walking west. <laughs> they're going to Emmaus. Why Emmaus? I don't know. What was there? I don't know. But sometimes when, when, we, are, when we are shocked and we are in a place of just incredible <clears throat> trauma, what do we do naturally? We just start gravitating to what we know, the warm springs, the comfort zones, that place. I don't know what was in that village. Maybe there were friends there. Maybe they had no, maybe they were just walking. But I think that sometimes when traumatic, traumatic things happen to us, we start gravitating away from the action because we can't, we can't figure it out. We can't, we can't comprehend it. We just start walking in the other direction. But you know something? God doesn't condemn them. I would say, I would say, you know something? These disciples were faithless, right? They forgot what Jesus said, right? 
And then we see Jesus says, Jesus says in the following verses here later on, he says, um, he says, oh, foolish. Oh, foolish. And when you read those words, we have to understand what they mean in the Greek. Oh, foolish. Oh, foolish ones. And this is verse 25. Oh, foolish ones. I think some of us in our religious dispositions will be like, yeah, now Jesus is going to like rebuke these backsliders. No, we got to look at the Greek because the Greek here says something different. It says, in the Greek, foolish is noetes. And I, and I know I didn't pronounce that right, so if you've got Greek speakers here, please give me some grace. Uh, what that means is it means that it's made up of two words, and basically it just means that they are not thinking. Jesus here addresses something, and I, I just read something la- last night about some comforting words for people that were struggling with the, with the great loss of Harvey. And the brain is made up in such a way it has a left lobe and a right lobe, right? Left lobe is that part of our lobe, and I'm not going to, please don't, I don't want to lose you here, but just stay with me. Left lobe is that part of us that perceives and calculates and just kind of figures everything out. And that's like, you know, that, that logical part of us that tries to make sense out of things that happen. The right lobe is that, right lobe is that, well, some say that that's really where the, all the photos are. That's the photo album of the soul. That's the creative place. That's where we remember all of our, all the sound and the sight and the feelings of things. It's kind of like marriage, isn't it? Men are like the left lobe, right? We're just figuring it all out. And, the, and, the, and our wives are like the creative photo album that's, you know, the feeling part of the marriage. What happens here is that when there's traumatic, traumatic experiences that the left lobe, that our brain can't figure out, it shuts down. There is a, a circuit. There is a fuse that blows. And until that fuse blows, the left lobe and the right lobe are working together and they're they're thinking in creativity, they're thinking in logic, and, and uh, life is making sense. But when you have something like Harvey come, or when you have like impact that hits your marriage or your family or your personal life that nobody really knows about, then a, flip go, then, then a switch goes off, the circuit gets blown, and your left lobe is no longer connecting with your right lobe. That means we stop thinking. We shut down. Men, when we are just... When we hit, when we are just Impacted by overly emotional, dramatic situations, what do we do? We just kind of crawl into our man cave, you know? And we just kind of just sink back in our corner, our safety zone. Women, we, they just are just like very excited. I'll just leave it at that. <laughs> they get very creative, don't they? In their word, in their word vocabulary. <laughs> I'm get in trouble now with my wife. <laughs> I love you, honey. Um, this is what happened with these disciples. They're not thinking. Ain't no eaters. They're just not thinking anymore. They shut down. They're just, they're emoting. They're, they're emotionally, they're, they are just expressing. They are hurting. And there's just pain. This is what happens in tragedy. And this is what I saw sometimes, you know, um, I got a chance to, we got a chance with your church to do uh, some, in another church to do some relief efforts for Hurricane Harvey. And when we walked into some of these homes, I can still smell and see the pictures of devastated furniture, homes that had water lines like eight feet high. I remember walking into one, walking up to one home, and, and the people were just out there wandering around like they like zombies. They didn't know what was going on. They didn't even know where to start. That's what's happening with these disciples. That's what happens with us as we get in this zombie mode where we don't even know what's happening and we're wandering. We're going down the road of Emmaus to the comfort zone, and we're just kind of moseying along. And Jesus knows 
Jesus can't walk up to them and say, I'm, a, I'm alive, I'm risen. Jesus can't do that to these disciples because they would have not been able to comprehend what was going on. You see later on in this chapter, Jesus does that with everybody in the, in the upper room, right? And guess what happens? They just, they, they are afraid and they freak out and they think it's a spirit. They think it's a ghost. So Jesus walks up along with them in the patience of God, walking in the wrong direction. And, and for the next two hours, Jesus begins to explain to them from Moses all the way through the prophets what the plan of God of redemption was. And as he's speaking, their hearts begin to burn, doesn't it? They don't know it's Jesus. And Jesus on purpose doesn't open their eyes because he wants to address something else in their soul, and that is their thinking part. Jesus opens the scriptures, and he begins to go through the scriptures, and he begins to counsel them, and he begins to encourage them, and he begins to speak to them. And as he does this, in verse 28, they draw near to the village which they were going. For about two hours, if we look at a timeline, two, two and a half hours, Jesus is speaking to them. And as they approached this village, he acted as if he was going to go farther. You know? But they urged him strongly, saying, stay with us. There was a connection there. I think when we find ourselves in some kind of a place where we're not even thinking, and maybe we're just backsliding or we're just kind of moving in that direction, like, like Peter did when he went fishing. Jesus, Peter just said, I can't figure this out. This is way beyond me. Guys, I'm out of here. I'm going to go fishing. That's what I know. I can understand that. I can understand fishing. You know, sometimes we hit circumstances and we say, you know what? I can, I can go to the, I'm going to go to the bar because I can understand that. I'm going to go downtown. I can understand that. And Jesus says here, as they're drawing near, Jesus says, I, I'll stay with you because there's a connection. There's a connection there. And so he went in to stay with them. I love that. Jesus, does, Jesus is not in any kind of rush here, is he? He's not in any kind of rush. He's, I'm, he's just here with these two disciples. And I love that because God is never too busy to draw near to us. And he sits there. He sits down with them. They're at the table. One of my, just, one of my favorite verses here. When he was at table with them in verse 30, he's sitting at the table. And Jesus is playing the host here. And so... As the host, he's making himself the center of attention. And he says, he's open. He, he breaks the bread. He took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it. What does that remind you of? What does that remind you of at that moment? Jesus takes the bread and he breaks, he blesses it and he breaks it. Where did he do that? Where did he do that? Somebody just say it. What? Last Supper. Where's another place he did it? 5,000. We don't know if Cleopas and maybe Luke, if there was Luke, he would have seen this before. But Cleopas wasn't in that upper room. So it's probably referring to a moment in, when Jesus fed the 5,000. Jesus breaks the bread. What an amazing moment. Jesus is breaking the bread. Jesus himself is the bread. And he's breaking it in his hand. He's blessing it and he's breaking it. That's, a, that's an amazing situation. And as soon as he does that, as soon as he does that and the bread goes into the hand of the disciples, their eyes are opened. Here's the point I want to make this morning. Is that whatever situation we're in, whatever circumstance we find ourselves in, whatever direction we're going in, as Pastor Guy said at the beginning, it was such a great verse. I just love quoted scripture, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There's no condemnation. You're not under condemnation. If you're struggling with unbelief, 
God's not out there to, to beat you over the head. He's going to walk with you. He's not going to compromise with us. But he's going to walk with us. He's going to walk with us for hours, for days, for years, however long it is as we're going towards that Emmaus. He's going to walk with us. That is so awesome. I love that Savior that walks with us. He walks with us, and he's talking with us, and he's expounding the Scriptures to the Holy Spirit, and he's bringing to mind verses that are in our soul that were deposited there, and he's speaking to us. He's counseling us. In Psalm 107, verse 20, he's sending his word, and it's healing our soul. I think, you know, maybe all of us in this room are Christians. I don't know, but there's even as a Christian, we need to be healed daily in our soul by the word of God. We need the word of God every day to heal our soul. And Jesus here breaks the bread, and they understand at that moment, this is he. What is it? What is the, what is the magic of that moment in the last minute here or two that I have? What's the magic, can I, if I can use that word, what's the supernaturalness of this moment where Jesus breaks the bread? I think it's this. That when you and I sit down in communion with our Savior, our eyes are open. I don't think we necessarily need miracles. Miracles are awesome. They're amazing. Jesus didn't stand up and appear to them like this. It doesn't even say that there's any record that there's any nails in his hands. These disciples aren't seeing anything. All we need is that moment where we sit down with Christ and the word of God. And we break bread with, with our Savior and with each other. When we, when we break bread like we are this morning, there's so much healing in that. What does that mean practically? It means that Jesus was broken for us. Jesus was broken for us. Jesus was broken for you and I. His body was literally broken. Medically, his heart was torn apart for, his, for blood and water to pour out like that. That meant medically, I'm told by doctors, that the heart literally had to have exploded inside of his body. He was broken for us. Praise the Lord. Amen. He was broken for our sins. He was broken for our brokenness. And you know, sometimes we need those disappointments to hit us really hard. Because when we are hit really hard and we're disappointed and there's no way around it, we're like, you know what? I don't feel very spiritual right now. I don't feel like singing any songs. I don't feel like doing anything for God. I just want to go to my Emmaus. When we're in that situation, we need to sit down and just understand that Jesus is drawing near and that he is with us like Job's friends drew near to Job in his, in his pain and his brokenness. Because you know what? When that disappointment comes, when that disillusionment comes, instead of running away from it, we face and we say, you know something? My expectation was in a prophet before the people and not in Jesus Christ, a savior, a counselor, a friend. God is always addressing our concepts. There are people that are going to fail us. There are going to be things that happen to us that cause a lot of pain. God does that so that those concepts can be broken and so that we can break through and discover through the amazing patience of God, we can discover something beautiful. I want to read something to you as we close by a theologian. I don't necessarily agree with his theology so much. He's a Japanese theologian. I just read it somewhere, and it just touched me so much. And it's uh, by a, a, a man by the name of Koyama, and he says this. Let me read this to you. God walks slowly because, of he, because he is loved. Just think of this. Jesus is walking with his disciples to Emmaus. If he is not love, he would have gone much faster. Love has its own speed. It is an inner speed. It's a spiritual speed. It's a different kind of speed from technological speed 
to which, we're, to which we are accustomed to. It is slow, yet it is lured over all other speeds since it's the speed of God's unconditional love. It goes on the depth into our life, whether we notice it or not, whether we are currently hit by storm or not, at three miles an hour, it's a speed we walk, and therefore it's a speed that the love of God walks. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer.